are entering the Freedom Hut. Some new documents dropped today. That's right. We've got a 302, which is the record that the FBI compiled of that important interview with General Flynn. But it leaves more questions than it answers. We'll get into that and also a tragedy at the border that the Democrats are exploiting right away. What does that mean for our policy and also for the possible shutdown? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We are in the midst of a, a freestyle Friday. We're getting it started here. Uh, so, uh, you know, just late yesterday, we had General General Flynn's case getting a, a possible boost of, of, of truth, uh, finding out more information that would be, I think, quite necessary here to find out what what's what's really going on i mean all along we've been having we've had people tell us oh you know just don't lie to the fbi just don't lie to the fbi this whole thing doesn't pass a smell test the only reason that anyone over to anyone went over to interview flynn was because of a leak of classified information the washington post the only reason that general flynn in my view didn't fight these charges is because they were also going to stack another very kind of Mickey Mouse processy crime on top of this of a FARA violation, a Foreign Agent Registration Act, and they were going to go after his son too. And as a result of all the pressure they brought to bear, Flynn's had to say, fine, I lied, I lied. Why can't we know what was said in that room? Why can't we get full access to the FBI 302. And and also, why is it that we are supposed to treat the FBI's version of events as written out by some of these agents, including Peter Strzok, who was the one who recorded the 302 and absolutely hated Trump? Why do we just take that as the be-all and end-all? I mean, the, I mean I, I, you could say that, Buck, that's the only record we have, but are we supposed to be okay with that are we supposed to think that that's enough if there is evidence that flynn lied in that interview i think we get to see that no where is the evidence why can't we see this here's what the fbi and the doj released today they released a 302 remember 302 is the written report When I was the NYPD, we called it a DD-5, right? It's sort of a written report of what's gone on, whether it's the interview or the situation or the information you get. And the FBI 302 that they released today is of Strzok talking about the interview with Flynn when he's really also talking about something else. And it's six, seven months after the incident. FBI policy is that you should get the 302 uh, set up right away and that if it's more than five days old, you got a big problem on your hands. Six or seven months. Not only that, but the information. Remember, this is only because Judge Sullivan, who is 
is hip to the ways that the federal government plays games and understands the ways that prosecutors can stack the deck and do injustice to people, especially when there are political motivations at play. Judge Sullivan has requested for the court that they produce this information. And you know what they produced? They, they produced the 302 from six months after the fact. What about the one from that day or that week? You know why we know it exists? Because in the one that the Mueller team produced today, it references the other 302. It references that there is a, a pre-existing report, a contemporaneous report. And oh, by the way, the document from today also says, quote, struck and blank, both, and we believe we know it's another FBI agent, people, his name is out there, but they don't release it for some reason. Both had the impression at the time that Flynn was not lying or did not think he was lying. Flynn struck, uh, struck, struck, that's what it says, as, quote, bright, but not profoundly sophisticated. The agents left Flynn in a collegial, positive way. There was no discussion of follow-up. Struck and Blank returned to FBI headquarters and briefed McCabe and Blank on the interview. McCabe briefed Comey. Struck and uh, Struck was aware that someone and a long thing later argued about the FBI's decision to interview Flynn. This was controversial at the time. They think now that maybe actually Sally Yates was the one who was saying, what are you guys doing? So, you know, I, you know, who, who knows if that's true and, and what's really going on here. But all these people were saying, oh, he shouldn't have lied. He shouldn't have lied. Yeah. There were arguments at the time at the top reaches of the DOJ and the FBI about what are you doing? This guy's the incoming national security advisor. You're setting a perjury trap for him? Sanctacomi? McCabe? Oh, McCabe who lied three times under oath? That guy, that guy better get criminally prosecuted. Don't let go of that, by the way. Don't forget about that. Remember, McCabe, who's intimately involved in all this, intimately involved in the entrapment, the setup of Flynn, he's a known liar. He's a, he's a perjurer. He thinks he doesn't have to tell the truth. He also plays games with what information the public is allowed to know. He's the one that was getting the $70,000 conference table that was redacted. Yeah, that's right. These are the people we're supposed to believe? This isn't about the FBI and the FBI. There are people in the FBI listen to the show. FBI folks in the, you know, the Miami office, the Chicago office, you know, thank you for working on those drug cases and the kidnapping cases and all the other stuff that you're doing. It's not about you. It's about five or six people at the DOJ and the FBI who were trying to run a soft coup against the president and his top people. That's what this is about. And th those who try to ignore this you know, they, they always talk about, oh, the Russians that have been indicted, you know, and the people that have lied and, and the tax fraud. The tax fraud? you got to be kidding me. Think about what would happen if you had had a special counsel go after Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation and look into their taxes and look into pay to play. I, you know, you want to talk and took the approach that Mueller and his little team of partisan hacks have taken, which is just the most bare knuckle tactics imaginable. You think you couldn't make a case about Hillary? You can't make a case about Hillary Clinton running a corrupt scheme via the Clinton Foundation and Bill Clinton too? Their donations are down 50%. I mean, are we all supposed to be idiots? 
These people were all giving money because they thought they were buying access to the Clintons. You don't think the Clintons encouraged that ever? Oh, no, but that's right. You know, we're, we're supposed to believe the decision to prosecute is the decision to destroy. And who gets prosecuted and who doesn't means a whole lot more than all these people who are making this huge stink about, oh, Flynn, he shouldn't have lied. Yeah, he shouldn't have been put in a position where people were trying to catch him in a lie. Because it was, it was, the lie was also irrelevant. The lie didn't matter. And oh, by the way, yes, it was out there. And I'm going to get into this. The special counsel, very special counsel, very prickly today. They released a, a, a rebuttal memo to the Flynn sentencing memo. And they're, they're very upset about how Flynn is not, is trying to mitigate what he said and mitigate his conduct. You know, you'd think that if you, we're federal prosecutors with near unlimited resources and an ever widening scope. You're destroying people's lives, bankrupting them over minor process crimes, all under this farce that it's about Russia collusion. You think you could handle like a little bit of somebody saying, hey, maybe don't send me to prison for that long because I served my country for 30 years and this wasn't a big deal. Oh, no, they don't want to hear that. They released this this counter memo today that was very uh, you know, very sharp in its rebuke of Flynn for trying to mitigate what he did. What did he do again exactly? Lied about a non-crime. I, I also he, here's the real the real center of this thing too. I don't believe that he lied. People say, "Buck, he's admitted to lying." Yeah, okay, he's admitted to lying because if he doesn't, they're going to completely ruin his life. They're going to completely destroy him. You know. Look at some of these people that they've gotten in lies that weren't committing crimes. Look at Scooter Libby, also a special counsel, right? Look at him. He didn't do anything wrong. He was a he was a uh, deputy na- or a, a national security advisor to the vice president and a, a seasoned lawyer and DC insider. You, you think that he just you know he just lied? No, they just they construed a version of events where they could make the case that he lied about a non-crime. And so they did. Does General Flynn know that lying to the FBI is a crime? Yeah, but where's the line, man? If you work in the FBI and the FBI director wants to send somebody out for a beer with you and and asks you, you know, hey, did you, you know, did you file a little extra overtime last week? And it goes, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, you know, playing a little bit around the edges. Or let's say you say you didn't do that, and, and it turns out you did. Can you get five years in federal prison for that? For lie to, for a lie to your colleague about something that no one cares about? Under under Mueller rules, yeah, you can. Don't don't sign me up for the for the FBI, man. That's for sure. It sounds rough over there these days. Judge Sullivan ordered the USG to file not just, by the way, this is from my friend Benjamin Weingarten, the McCabe memo on setting up the interview with General Flynn or Strzok's 302s month later, but any 302s or memoranda relevant to the circumstances. The Strzok 302 that came out today does reference the original 302 with General Flynn. Why haven't we seen that one? We're supposed to believe that's a coincidence, huh? The one document that's the very heart of this. Here's why. If there is any indication in that 302, and by, I, I don't think that the FBI, I don't think they're above scrubbing it. I don't think that they're above the people involved here. They'll destroy evidence because who will ever know? They'll come up with some bureaucratic justification for why they destroyed it. Just like they they wiped 
Page instructs instruments. They wipe their uh, they wipe their personal P, not not PDAs. What do you call them? Smartphones. They did that. You know, we didn't get to find out what was really on there. Oh, they just had somebody look it over. Yeah, we don't need to see more. How much can we really trust these people? The Inspector General report came out with a conclusion that there was no bias. Remember this? No bias in the. Uh, you know, with with the Hillary situation and Strzok and Page and the Trump and, oh, that's right. There was nothing but bias in the report, but they came out with the conclusion that there wasn't bias. The judgment, the discretion, that's where they cheat us. That's where the bad things happen. But now maybe even also on the facts, because I want to see what was said in this. Think this one through. It doesn't make any sense. Flynn knew that they they had his his phone call bugged. He would know that they have a transcript of it. And him lying about it to other people, you know, first of all, we're assuming that he lied. Maybe he just didn't remember what he said to the guy. How many phone calls is Flynn taking at any given time? That's a possibility. They're saying, oh, he lied to this person, lied to that person, lied to this person. Okay, well, maybe he actually thought that's what he said. It happens. People misremember things. I don't remember what I said to my, you know, I don't remember what I said to Molly last night on the phone. It doesn't make me a liar. But then there's the other possibility here, which is that Flynn didn't lie at all in terms of, you know, to the FBI. But the decision was made. The decision was made after Comey was fired because that's when the whole 302 they've shown came out. The second 302, if you will. After Comey was fired and and once this whole special counsel situation was going, maybe the decision was made that, you know, they need to they need to make an example out of this guy and they think that they can flip him. He's got to be at the center of all this Russia stuff because he was talking to the Russian ambassador, right? He's got to know things. And they sat him down. They said, you know, our agent, uh, you know, our agent says you lied. That's all. By the way, that's all we have. All we have is the word of this of these FBI agents, one of whom is Peter Strzok. We don't believe, and I mean, I could be wrong, but we don't believe that there's any tape recording of this meeting. So at best, what you really have here at the heart of all of this is Peter Strzok, who is a a clown, a partisan hack, and some other FBI guy that we don't really get to hear from yet, who, according to other people in the FBI, many, many months later, feel that General Flynn lied to them. Hmm. That's enough. We believe that. I want to see some evidence. I want to see what was written in that initial report about that conversation. Um, because remember, that Flynn was the first domino to fall. Once they once they brought the charges against Flynn, then that became the justification for a ever widening scope on this thing. And you know, Flynn lied. He perjured himself. He's pleaded guilty. Maybe they just said to him, "Look, we can do this the hard way or the easy way." You want your son to stay out of our crosshairs? You want to have any money left in the bank? You plead guilty. We'll make sure you don't spend a minute in jail. You fight this thing, we'll ruin you forever. You talk about this thing publicly, you say you didn't lie, we'll ruin you forever. Do any of you think that Mueller and the special counsel, you think that they're above that? I I do not. I definitely don't think that Weissman's above it. We got more coming up here, team. Stay with me. 
Sorry to spoil the surprise, but if you're getting gift from me this Christmas, you're getting coffee from my favorite coffee company, Black Rifle Coffee. Every morning when I go into the hill, I have a steamy, hot, delicious cup of Black Rifle, just black. And that's also how I drink it and the name of the coffee, by the way. It is delicious, okay? The aromas, the different taste profiles that come through are incredible. Oh, and by the way, this is a company run by and for veterans, including veterans of the United States Special Forces. These guys are amazing. Black Rifles Coffee Club makes things so easy. Just pick your blend, the amount you want, and they'll ship the coffee right to your door. Check this out for yourself. They offer three, six, and 12-month prepaid and pay-as-you-go subscriptions. The best-tasting, most energizing coffee imaginable, and they help veteran and first responder causes. Black Rifle Coffee is the gift that keeps on giving. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. They were so focused on getting President, uh, getting President Trump that they were willing to set up a lieutenant general, a guy who served our country, as you said, 33 years. So that's the most that's the most egregious part of this, what they did to General Flynn. The other thing I think it's important to understand is Mike Flynn ran the Defense Intelligence Agency. He had to know his conversations with Kislyak were being listened to, were being monitored. So he had to know that. There's no reason for him to come in there and say something that wasn't true. He just got caught because he didn't know they were setting him up like they did. And so Judge Sullivan demanding these documents is exactly what needs to happen. Jim Jordan's right. It makes no sense. I mean, the people that, you know, what what we keep getting told by the anti-Trump special counsel-loving zealots is, well, there's so many lies there's so many lies that there must be something more to this, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire, essentially, is, is the explanation they give of all this. Well, someone someone tell me how that's supposed to make sense in the context of Flynn. He's going to lie about something knowing that, you know, would, if you sat down with the FBI, they said, hey, we have your bank statement right here in our hand. What did your last bank statement say? Are you going to lie to them? Just because just you feel like maybe putting yourself in criminal jeopardy? There's no purpose for the lie. Why would Flynn lie for no purpose? What is more likely? Use Occam's razor here. That Flynn just decided to lie for no reason or two options. That he was speaking off the cuff to people he thought were colleagues and he either misremember, he misremembered what he said. Maybe they misconstrued what he said. Or the other option is... They knew that they had Flynn in this thing where he had lied publicly about it, they say. And, you know, he had lied publicly about it and they they figured that they could make this stick. And they say that he lied to our FBI guys. And then they sat Flynn down behind closed doors and said, look, you either plead guilty here or we're going to we're going to completely destroy your reputation, your life and send your son to prison, too, for you know whatever it is with his business dealings or something else that they're going to go after him for. I have friends who are federal prosecutors. A federal prosecutor that decides he or she wants to get someone is a is is the most dangerous thing in this country to an individual's liberty. Number one, it's worse than you know somebody who's gone rogue in, in law enforcement because at least with law enforcement there's an additional layer of oversight. With prosecutors, it's whatever the prosecutor decides, really. We got more. Stay with me. But I think the, the bigger picture here is that you are now seeing more evidence than ever that Donald Trump was associated with a criminal campaign 
a criminal transition and presides today very likely over a criminal presidency. And you've seen people in his orbit who are either under investigation, have pled guilty, or are serving prison time uh, because of their association uh, with one or all three uh, of those different entities. You know, the people that are serving prison time, a lot of them are serving prison time for or will be serving prison time for things that have absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump. But that that somehow gets lost in all of this. Uh, This is what I've been I've been warning about from the very beginning, that the process is the punishment. Democrats know that. You know, think of all the think of all the the lost hours of of uh, of time here for people caught up in this investigation. Think of all the money they've spent trying to avoid getting jammed up in all of this. All the people whose careers have been, if not ruined, at least dramatically damaged by this. And for what? It, it's all based on a fantasy that, that Russia... Remember, the, the reason we're really here, at least this is what they said, the reason we're here is because of Russian intervention in our election. Have we done anything to stop Russia from inter- intervening in our election the next time? Not really. Can we stop Russia from intervening in the elect- elect, uh, next election? No, not really. You know, do you think that the... Are, are, are other countries, given the unbelievable amount of attention and resources and anger that's been put into all this. Uh, do you think that other countries are more that, that want to mess with us are more or less likely to do this the next time around? I think we all know the answer to that, too. I mean, you create a situation where now anyone who loses in a presidential election can just point to some shady Facebook ads and say, see, see what happened here? You know, the, the emails that were released from the DNC, I mean, we've lost sight of so much of this. The emails that were released from the DNC weren't some game changer. They were released, and everyone thought Hillary had a 97% chance of still winning. The Podesta emails weren't supposed to change a thing. Didn't change anything. We all, you know, I remember. We all thought Trump was going to, not some of you didn't, but I mean, you know, the, all the media folks, everybody, they all thought Trump was going to lose. It was only when Hillary lost that all of a sudden all the Russian interference, it must have been something profound. I mean, these people, this is why I keep saying they're delusional. The whole Russia thing is crazy. Yeah, Russia did some things here and there, but this is like when they say that we can tell what the global temperature average is going to be in 100 years. That's just absurd. They don't know what technology is going to be like in five years. They don't know what technology is going to be like in 12 months. You think they're going to know what the temperature is in 2090? You know, we could have a nuclear war between now and 29. There might not even be any people. I mean, just not to frighten you, but, you know, come on. This is idiocy. Hillary Clinton's campaign paid for paid for opposition research. That opposition research was used by the FBI, by people in the FBI, and the DOJ to get a FISA warrant on Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. This is insane. You know, you you have to remind, you have to take a step back. You have to remind yourself of what's really going on here. These are the people that are saying they're all about the rule of law. Oh, how could he lie? There was so much abuse of power going on from people who were just deranged with fear of what a Trump presidency would mean for their careers and for our democracy and everything else. A FISA on Carter Page. Uh, a, a full FBI field investigation on George Papadopoulos because of, of collusion measures? This is just, how, how does anyone 
look at this and not understand what a big pile of bull crap this is. Now, Flynn is if Flynn is facing prison time now, or he's probably not going to get time, but you know he's he's a convicted felon. This it's the whole thing. It it just doesn't add up. And and we're supposed to we're supposed to accept somehow that the only people that lie under these circumstances, the only people that just shoot themselves in the foot here for no apparent reason are senior Trump associates, you know, people affiliated with Donald Trump. Has nothing to do with the way they're structuring some of these interviews, the way they're going after people. Uh, nothing to do with any of it. You know, people say, why would anyone lie in these cases? Why would anyone do this to themselves? And well, you know, if you are terrified and you're under pressure, and you're being asked to recall things. I, I, look, people say there's no such thing as a perjury trap, don't know what they're talking about, or they're just not very smart. I've had to go through versions of interrogation. I've had interrogation training, and also had to go through versions of an interrogation myself at different times. And let me tell you, it's it's stressful. It's stressful when technically anything you say that's untrue could be used in a criminal proceeding against you. Uh, it's stressful when your career rides on being accurate and truthful in everything you say, especially when you're talking about in the context of a background check or a background investigation, and they're asking you about some very, very sensitive stuff, and you're trusting the government's going to keep that all quiet and just for background purposes, you know, FBI investigation stuff. They say, oh, you know, we're just, you, just, you can trust us, tell us these things. You know, the, the human mind keeps certain things secret that should be secret. And then in some cases, when you're going to get a high level, high level clearance, you know, you got to tell them whatever it is they want to know. And your reaction is, you know, to not want to be forthcoming about that stuff. It doesn't make you a bad person. I mean, you know, we all have our secrets. We all have our lives. I mean, this this idea that you could just go through endless interrogation by the FBI and they could not find something to claim that you said that was untruthful is just ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And, and that you have people like, Hillary Clinton and, um, you know, the Clinton, the whole Clinton Foundation thing. I, mean, I haven't even talked to you much about the whistleblowers that have come out and said that the whole Clinton Foundation was essentially a pay-to-play scam and that it, was a ter- it was, wasn't really a charity, that people were paying themselves outrageous salaries, that there were no real checks and balances in place. That I, Yes, it's, I'm glad that it's coming to light, but I knew all this. We've all known all this. But that's all okay, because she was part of the in-club. She, she was supposed to be in charge, you see. She was supposed to be the one making decisions and telling you what to do with your life. Trump was not. That's his sin. That's the only sin that really matters here. And all these other people that are getting caught up in this, um, that are being uh, ruined by the grinding gears of the special counsel, they're either collateral damage or... Uh, the left is gleeful at their destruction because anyone associated with Trump deserves that. This is this is a dark time for this country, and unfortunately, it is only going to get worse. I mean, I'm hoping you all realize that this show, for for me, for sure, I'm hoping for all of you, will be an intellectual safe haven in the year to come because this is going to get incredibly ugly. There's going to be a lot of lying. There's going to be a lot of personal destruction and character assassination going on, and anyone who stands up for Trump in any sense is going to be a target in some way. So we all better hold on to each other for the, the, the stormy ride ahead. We'll be right back. Something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with 
in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration. So if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. That's just the former FBI director saying, you know, we try to slip one under the radar. And then I have to hear from all these idiots, including a lot of lawyers. But by the way, law schools have been infiltrated by by the progressives the same way that college campuses are. The, the legal profession, especially the loudmouths you see on TV that are in the legal profession, has got a lot of far left wing uh, types going on. All right. So, you know, there, that's, you know, the, the legal profession is definitely not what it not what it used to be in terms of a, a bastion of not even conservative values, just sort of equal representation of left and right. You got a lot of a lib legal eagles running around but they're all telling me oh well you know this is that deception is a tactic used in law enforcement okay yeah but deception for what purpose you tend to use deception to find out if someone's a drug dealer to find out if someone's engaged in a you know in in high level corruption if someone is you know a murder for hire plot you use deception to find out if the incoming national security advisor told the fib about a conversation that was only known because of a very serious felony leak and abuse of surveillance power to settle a political score given to the Washington Post. Oh, by the way, does anyone really believe that we couldn't figure out where that leak came from? Just pull the Washington Post phone. Just pull an Obama. Pull the Washington Post phone records. Pull all their journalist text messages from the period in question. I'm, I'm sure they could find. Oh, Buck, that's terrible. That's against the First Amendment. Yeah, I know, but it's what Obama did. It's what Obama did and these smug, sanctimonious little cowards in the mainstream media are like, oh, we held Obama to account. Jake Tapper asked him like two or three hard questions during his presidency. It was really hard on Obama. They were like, you know, Anderson Cooper once said, well, I don't know about whether Obama's telling the truth on that one. Oh, they were so mean to Obama. I don't think so. I don't think so. What we are seeing is the weaponization of law in order to restore the power of the elites once they feel like it has been taken from them. That's why there are so many people who are all in on this. Um, But the way that they went after General Flynn, I mean, for anyone to say that this is normal, it's not normal. It was aberrant. It was strange. It was weird. But people are trying to make excuses for this. Look at the aggression with which they went after General Flynn on a non-crime. And then look at the way that they went after Hillary. Look at the way that they went after everyone around Trump and look at what happened to, you know, not, really not, not a single, only Trump, only people around Trump lie, including four, uh, three-star generals with 30 years of service and former DI director. Those are the only people who lie. None of Hillary's people lie, apparently. Hillary can't open her mouth without lying, but she didn't lie in all the in all those hearings. Well, I mean, she probably had her team of 15 lawyers answering all of her questions for her. But you don't think the FBI could have gotten around that one? They found a way to get around it with Flynn. FBI couldn't have just said, hey, former secretary of state, you know, we'd love to just talk to you a little bit about your email server. Of course they could have. It's about those decisions. 
It's about those differences. You see, what we have happening here is similar to the following. It's like if, if you have a prosecutor who, you know, one person gets a, uh, you know, one person is engaged in a corrupt kickback scheme who's a Democrat. Another person's engaged in a corrupt kickback scheme who's a Republican. The prosecutor, for whatever reason, brings charges against the Republican, not the Democrat. And then all we get to hear about is rule of law, rule of law. This person was in, this person pleaded guilty there. Well, yeah, but that's because the choice was made to go after the Republican. The choice wasn't made to go after the Democrat. That's where the difference lies here. And there's supposed to be a principle. There's supposed to be something you can point to and understand and see. And that makes sense. That separates those issues. Right. There's that, that, that makes one different from the other. And it's not supposed to be the political affiliation of one of the people involved. But that's what's happening. This is really dangerous. L- look at uh, look at what happened with uh, with Scooter Libby. The la- there was, a, of course, a special counselor in the last Republican administration. And they thought they were just so close to getting either Karl Rove or Dick Cheney. They were going for Cheney. They got close, they thought, on Rove. And they ruined Scooter Libby. And I know the details of that case very well. It was a, it was bullcrap, bullcrap. And the media was, oh, he's lying. He's a liar. He lies, lies, lies. Uh, it's just, not, it's just, it's supposed to be. And this is another part of this too. It's supposed to be a under one zero zero one a material lie, meaning that it would change things. It's it's meaningful. So you can't say. I wasn't, I I didn't commit that murder because I wasn't in Queens last night. That's a material lie. But you could say, you know, yeah, I was in Queens last night. I didn't commit that murder. But, you know, I I did send that guy that email two weeks ago. It turns out it was three weeks ago. Well, that doesn't change anything meaningful necessarily, right? So the, the material fact component of 1001 has just gotten run, run over roughshod by the government. And now they just use it as a club to bludgeon defendants into submission all the time. And yeah, it's not just a problem with General Flynn. It's not just a problem in the Mueller probe, but it doesn't mean that it isn't a problem in the Mueller probe, right? I mean, you know, I get this other thing too, of these different attorney types, left-wingers, they come after me. Oh, do you feel this way about a defendant when it's not Trump? Yeah, I do actually. I do think that the federal government has too much power in prosecutions, especially over matters that, you know, a normal person wouldn't necessarily think is a criminal issue. And there's plenty of that going on. You've got all these people that are so upset over, you know, they're acting like Trump was supposed to know whether or not a payoff to a porn star was illegal under campaign finance law. Meanwhile, the former federal election commissioner has written an op-ed saying, this is not illegal. So, you know, if you have people that, used to be the ones in charge of administering election law saying this was not illegal. You know, they don't say that about murder. No one's like, ah, you know, murder turns out it's not actually illegal. If you have people that are steeped in this issue and even they don't agree with this notion of what Trump did is so, I mean, oh, the Southern District of New York. Well, since when do we think that federal prosecutors are infallible and that the FBI doesn't lie and that there aren't people that have been corrupted and that aren't politicized in these processes? You know, Judge Emmett Sullivan, the one that called for the release of the 302 that they did not release today, by the way, um, they released a different 302. Judge Sullivan was the one who exposed what was going on with Ted Stevens, who, by the way, he lost that Senate seat. If, the, if, if Democrat headhunter 
federal prosecutors had not gone after Alaska Senator Ted Stevens, cost him his election, then he died, unfortunately, if they hadn't gone after him, you would not have had Obamacare. Those were the stakes. That was a necessary vote. That, Democrat, that seat that flipped Democrat was necessary for Obamacare's passage. What a changed history. And they knew, they knew that Stevens had exculpatory evidence, didn't think what he was doing was wrong, which was, a, which was an affirmative defense that essentially meant that there was no corruption they could have proved against him. They knew it and they went after him anyway. This happens. This happens. Comey's buddy Patrick Fitzgerald knew that the name was leaked by somebody that wasn't, you know, you know, this Valerie Plame nonsense. It was, it was leaked by Armitage. Armitage said it by accident. They knew, but they wanted to crush Scooter Libby because Bush. Don't let them lie to you. Don't let them get away with this. We're going to talk uh, immigration coming up here in a moment. Big story on that. We'll be right back. It's about to be a new year and you want to kick it off the right way by making sure that the people that you have doing your background investigations and vetting are the best in the business and a veteran-owned company. That's Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. No matter how big or small your business may be, you're going to need background checks done for all new employees. You might even have to re-up background checks of those who are already in the company, right? And if you've got a property and you're going to lease it out to somebody, you want to have a check done on that prospective tenant. Make sure they have no red flags in their background. Global Verification can handle all that for you. Just give them a call. Call 877-695-1179. Tell them Buck Sexton sent you. And then tell them what your needs are. They'll work with you to get a program set up for your background checks that's right for you. Call 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. The Democrats are absolute hypocrites. All along, they've been supporting walls and supporting fences and supporting all sorts of border security. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. I voted uh, uh, numerous times when I was a senator to spend money to build a, uh, a barrier to try to prevent um, illegal immigrants from coming in. Uh, we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. The fact is they've always supported fences and walls and partitions, but you know what? They only don't want to do it because of me. They have to put the people ahead of politics. We need to have the wall. We need border security. Whatever it takes to get border security, I will do it. I pledged that a long time ago, and I will pledge it always. We've done a really fantastic job with what we have. We can do an almost perfect job if we have the wall and proper border security. And that's what we're going to do for the American people. Thank you. You see, the, the separation on the issue of immigration is all about the difference between rhetoric and reality. You know, the separation... Uh, between the Democrats and, and the Republicans is about Republicans at least trying to take steps, trying to uh, take those initial actions to deal with the border. Whereas Republicans, I mean, where Democrats just want to give lip service to it and never do anything. 
they have become an open borders party. I mean, they are incentivized to continue the illegal immigration that happens at our border. And we have seen now another time when the entire debate and discussion around immigration is going to focus around one very emotional, very sensitive and and emotionally charged case involving a seven-year-old girl from Guatemala uh, who died at the border after she was taken into Border Patrol custody. It goes without saying that a seven-year-old girl from anywhere, any, anywhere in the world, no matter where she is in the world, no matter where she's from, that she died of dehydration and shock is terrible. We all know this. You know this. I know this. It's a tragedy for her family, and it's a, just a very, very sad thing. Um, there are also seven-year-olds that die from airstrikes in Yemen on a regular basis. There are seven-year-olds who have been dying in Syria for years. There are seven-year-olds who die for various preventable reasons in this country. I mean, there are terrible things that happen to small children all over the world, and we should do what we can to prevent that from happening in every instance that we can. But that then means we have to look at who's responsible for what And we have to be able to have a discussion of the facts. We're not going to be yelled at and told that we're being monsters because we want to assign blame, if that's what needs to be done, where it should be assigned. Here's what we know about this story. Um, That this, this young girl, seven years old, was taken into custody, part of a group. She was part of a group of 163 people who approached U.S. agents and turned themselves in. And uh, they then, uh, you know, she emergency responders came because eight hours later, so eight hours after she was turned in, the child was having seizures. And the emergency responders then measured her body temperature at 105 degrees, almost 106. And, and then Customs and Border Patrol said that she had not eaten or consumed water for several days. So she was dehydrated. She hadn't had any food. She'd been put through this terrible ordeal. And immediately what I saw is the exploitation of this for very political reasons. The ACLU blamed a lack of accountability and a culture of cruelty within Customs and Border Patrol for the girl's death. Now, this girl was medevaced via helicopter to the hospital. All right. They, they had emergency, emergency personnel deal with her right away. The most likely situation here, and we'll find out more from this, the most likely situation, though, is that nobody knew, including her parents, that she was in jeopardy until she started having the seizures. She's only seven years old. And when, as soon as it became clear that she was, she was in this situation, a, a, from what we have been told, Customs and Border Patrol did everything they could to save this girl. You know, Medivac... This is, this, is, this is not a U.S. citizen. This is not a U.S. person. She's a seven-year-old girl. Uh, and so we treat all seven-year-old girls who are in danger, all seven-year-olds, all kids, uh, as precious because they are. And they, you know, medevaced her via helicopter, and then she, and she died. Now people are saying, well, the Customs and Border Patrol is cruel. That's just not right. That's just not fair. Customs and Border Patrol um, or, you know, the, the, the folks that are down there at the border, they're trying to process these people from what we have been told that everything that they could in the circumstances, they are not 
a, a child intake facility. This is not how this is supposed to happen. The border is dangerous. People are coming across the border using coyotes. The coyotes are controlled by the cartels. The people who are getting to our border to turn themselves in are, in many cases, spending thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to be taken to that point in the border so they can come into the country illegally. They are doing something that is unsafe. Hundreds of people stretching back for years have died at the U.S. southern border trying to make this crossing. Attorney General Jeff Sessions told me back in May that it's dangerous and people should not send their kids. Obama, when he was president, said it's dangerous. Don't bring your kids to the border. This is also one of the reasons why they had that child separation policy at the border because they, they wanted people to stop doing this. Stop using kids as the, you know, the narrow end of the wedge to get you as an adult in the United States. Stop exploiting children, which is what is happening. You had over 25,000 individuals last month arriving in family unit formation of some kind or alleging to be a family unit. A lot of them are, some of them aren't. Arriving at our southern border and and turning themselves in, uh, claiming asylum, most of them won't get asylum. But then we'll be told that we're mean if we want to actually send them back to their country of origin. So it's it's all a scam with the Democrats. They're not willing to enforce the law. They're not willing to actually... Uh, accept the process all the way through. They just accept the first phase. They pretend to care about the process at the first phase, and then they abandon it as soon as it's clear that these people are not going to get asylum. But I mean, to blame Customs and Border Patrol, which is uh, uh, has a very large percentage as a federal agency of Latino and Hispanic law enforcement officers, uh, has a has a large percentage of veterans. I mean, these are our fellow Americans. These are good people. Does anybody really think that the people that are working in, in, in CBP uh, are, are are heartless, cruel monsters that don't care about seven-year-olds? It's just a despicable thing to say without any evidence, but that's what the media is saying. Because it's useful for them to make, it's useful for them, it's because, you know, Democrats will go on TV and they'll start crying and they'll act like this is the most important single case we could ever talk about and how could you be such a cruel and inhuman monster? Meanwhile... If we then turn around and say, well, hold on a second, there are illegals that, you know, joined MS-13 and brutally raped and murdered a girl in Long Island and, you know, chopped her up with knives. This is what happens with MS-13. They say, that's not fair. You're using that one case to describe the whole issue. Right. They emotionalize these things. They don't want the they don't want cases to be emotional that don't favor open borders and the uh, the free and lawless immigration policies that they like. And then you get to the other level of this, which is where I think people get even you know, more sensitive and more defensive. It's a, an unwise and reckless thing to do to put your child in a situation where they are in so much danger. And I, I don't understand why it's okay for the media to take the position that just Customs and Border Patrol are a bunch of monsters and murderers and why the ACLU and others are saying there's a culture of cruelty and of course, they're, they're blaming this all on Trump, too. Somehow it always goes, everything that's bad goes back to Trump. But, you know, these parents, these parents didn't, the child hadn't been fed in days, hadn't had any water in days, because this is a dangerous situation. Now, you might say, oh, and I understand this is where the, the, the conversation then turns to, think about how desperate they must, must be to be in this circumstance. 
They're in Mexico. Over 100 million people live in Mexico. Mexico is not a war zone. Mexico is not a place where, you know, there's no hope or salvation or dignity or, you know. Mexico is a reasonably well-off country. It's right next door to the United States. They're not fleeing. I was in refugee camps on the Syrian border where I was meeting people in, in large numbers who were saying, I saw family members executed and I knew if I didn't get out of there, I was going to be executed too. You know, my house was bombed. My village is gone. That's a refugee. I'm from Guatemala and I want to be in America because the economic situation is better. So I refuse to take asylum in Mexico. That's not a refugee. That's someone who's trying to get ahead of the immigration line. And, you know, we either are operating the world's largest soup kitchen or we have a country that has sovereignty. It can't be both. We take in a million people a year. We have, I think, a, a, either a quarter or a third of the overall migrants in the world are in America in terms of an immigrant population all in. I mean, we take in huge numbers every year. And we're just constantly berated as though the American people are not decent, we're not honest, we're not honorable, we're racist, we're bad, we're evil, uh, and everything bad that happens at the border is our fault. Border, we have over 70,000 Americans dying every year. What about that? What about those deaths? You know, what about the high school valedictorian in West Virginia who never wakes up after taking fentanyl once because the cartels are flooding communities across the country with that poison? Does, does his mom and do his do his mom and dad deserve someone to stand for them? Do, do they count? Do they count for something, too? Are, are you so are you a monster because you, you don't want anybody to be coming to the border with their child, putting them in danger and breaking our laws? That makes you a monster. I'm sorry, I, I reject this. I reject the moral blackmail the left engages in on this issue. And I reject the notion that that anybody who wants to take our laws and our border security seriously is a bad person who is unfeeling and does not care. And, you know, ultimately parents are the ones who make the decisions for their kids. And if you're putting your kid in a dangerous situation, especially a young child like this who has no say one way or the other, there is a degree of responsibility there. So, you know, people make choices. Do not make bad choices. Don't blame it all on the government when things go really bad. You know, it's, it's, we, we're going to have to have real discussions, grown-up talk about this, and not just have people uh, do a lot of virtue signaling and a lot of pointing fingers and claiming that everybody who doesn't agree with them is horrible and doesn't care about dead kids. They do this with gun control too. You'll notice this. It's always, you know, you don't care about dead children. No, we do care about dead children. We just try to have policy discussions based on the facts and on merit, not on emotion and deception. They're almost all gone from my freezer, and I'm just a single dude who's ripping through those steaks and chops myself. Omaha Steaks is an amazing company with an incredible limited-time offer that my listeners can get in on now. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter promo code BUCK in the search bar, you'll get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package. That's originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now, and you'll get Four hand-cut aged to tenderness top sirloin steaks, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four perfectly brown potatoes au gratin, four made from scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus four more burgers free. 
It's a limited time package for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type B-U-C-K in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today. What we're prioritizing is the safety and public safety of our communities. So first and foremost, we're looking for illegal aliens who have also committed crimes in our country or another country and to make sure that we remove them to protect our communities. Entire department actually contributes uh, to the mission of removing drugs from the streets. Uh, and that's in addition to 1.3 million pounds that CBP has interdicted at our borders. Every day, the Department of Homeland Security prevents 10 known or suspected terrorists from traveling to our country, and those are the ones we know about. So that's why the information sharing baselines that we've put into place, the partnerships with foreign countries, and making sure that we know who is coming here and what mm -hmm. they intend to do is just vital for our security. What there's very important reasons why we have to enforce the immigration laws we have. I mean, there you had Kirsten Nielsen uh, talking about illegal immigration and, and what's really at stake here. And I can't help but notice, but the, the same people who are absolutely rigid and fierce in their desire for the enforcement of the strictest federal election reporting requirements about funding as possible, you know, that's that's the downfall of our republic. If you're Steve Schmidt, it's the biggest crime that's ever been committed in the history of the country. Uh, might be the dumbest man on TV now. Uh, he, he might, in fact, Steve Schmidt on MSNBC might be dumber than Anna Navarro on CNN. It is, it is possible that that is the case. I, I did not think I'd ever be able to say that. But the truth is that the same people that are so strict when it comes to federal election uh, law or federal election transparency regulations uh, are very lax when it comes to immigration, when it comes to repeat re-entry into the United States, or re-entry the United States rather after somebody's already been deported, which is supposed to be treated as a felony. Uh, people are not supposed to uh, be able to access public benefits. A lot of them do. There's many different ways that they do. Even though that's against the law, there's there's laws on the books. In fact, that say you can't be a public ch a charge of the state if you are a an immigrant in this country. And there are lots of immigrants who are. There's all kinds of rules. You know, the rules are not the rules when it comes to immigration. And this is why you can't take Democrats seriously on rule of law as a general matter. Because the law only matters to them insofar as the law is useful to whatever they want at any point in time. And I just would like us to be able to at least have some, some honesty in this discussion. I think, that would be, I think that would be helpful. By the way, I was speaking about how all opposition to this is now referred to as racist. People are always talking about how racist opposition to open borders and the notion of building a wall. Um, what are we to say about the continued complaints from residents in Tijuana or T Tijuana? Some of you have corrected me. I know it's Tijuana. What are we to make of the fact that people who live in Tijuana are not exactly thrilled themselves with what's going on with this caravan? Play six. You know of incidences uh, here in Tijuana and in other cities that some of these people that are coming into these with these caravans are committing crimes. This is not about racism. We don't dislike a certain group of people because they're from a country, one country or another. We uh, are here because our government has not 
taking control of these, what we call invasion. The country have to be aware of these people because they are people, they are bad people. I don't know, sounds really racist to me. A lot of anti-Guatemalan racism coming from the Mexi- Mexicans. A lot of anti-Honduran racism coming from the Mexicans. How are they racist? I don't know. I mean, I guess they're racist the same way that, you know, people in, in New York who make fun of people in New Jersey are racist. I, I don't know. Someone someone on the left is going to have to explain to me. Cause, so, are, so, but are they allowed to have a problem with this? They're, okay, if you're, if you're Latino, if you're a non-American uh, a Spanish speaker, you're allowed to be opposed to other Spanish speakers traipsing through your country and, and causing problems and public disorder. Uh, but Americans are not allowed to feel that way. I, I just want to know where the, where the standard is and, and how we are, how we're going to be allowed to, to look at this and how we're supposed to judge this going forward. You know, can they, can they establish some degree of consistency for us? Just so I know, I want them to let me know what's racist. I want them to let me know so that I can make sure that I don't care because they're full of it and they lie. How about that? That's probably a good way for us to go. We got more coming. Stay with me. What we saw on full display for the world to see in the Oval Office was Chuck Schumer, the head of the Democrats in the Senate, and Nancy Pelosi, the head of the Democrats in the House, say to the American people, we do not stand with you. That's a dangerous place for an entire political party to say we disregard the safety and security of American communities and American families and instead stand with those who come to this country illegally. That's right. Democrats are all about supporting the illegals. This is something that is at the very, very top of their list. Um, and in fact, and I've been saying this for a while, you, you, we've learned a lot about the Democrat Party's priorities because in the era of Trump, what are the what are the, uh, the the two things that Democrats have shown themselves, other than obviously hatred of Trump and the Mueller probe and all that, but the two policy areas where they will just, they will take it all the way. I mean, they will fight with everything they've got. What is their focus? And their focus is on... Uh, non-Americans from a few Muslim countries being able to travel here, that's a huge issue for them, and illegal aliens and and their status and and their future in this country. I mean, these are top, top Democrat priorities. Uh, and, And it's for the reasons that I've been telling you. It's because they understand that if they win on this, they effectively win on everything. If they get their way with this one, then there doesn't have to be a whole lot, a whole lot of, of time that passes before the Republican Party is just a, a permanent minority, a permanent minority party. Uh, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, as she's she's saying that you know if this is a game of chicken, she's gonna just just slam down the accelerator. She doesn't care what happens because you know she will not fund a border wall no matter what. Play sixteen changes his calibration even if you're able to pass a bill under your watch on the 3rd of january his position ostensibly wouldn't change why would he sign that bill to open government up in january does he want to have uh, government closed and forever i mean what's this about i know he doesn't believe in government i know he doesn't know that much about what is at risk to shut it down he doesn't believe in government. I mean, how can somebody say that about the president of the United States? It's such a stupid thing to say. 
It reminds me of the other thing that you'll hear them say about President Trump. They'll claim that he does not believe in democracy. Well, I think he likes democracy just fine. He got 63 million votes and, and beat the most entrenched, propped up by the media establishment candidate in the history of America. I'm pretty sure Trump thinks democracy is pretty special, actually, considering what he was able to do, considering what the American people who voted for him were able to do. But Pelosi's saying, you know, that, that they'll never budge on the wall. Well, here's the thing. The whole point of having the shutdown is to really focus the American public on this discussion, this debate. This is politics. Politics is a means of settling differences. It's a means of settling conflict. And there is a conflict right now. Should the situation at our southern border continue as is? Republicans say no. You know, I asked General Stanley McChrystal today, who's now retired. He's a retired four-star general. I have to say a very, um, a very polite, very humble, very uh, insightful man. I enjoyed speaking to him on and offset. Uh, I, found him, I found him to be impressive without trying to be impressive, which is my favorite kind. But I asked him today, I said, does, does the president have the right, have the ability to, to order the military to build the wall? He said, you know, yeah, pretty much. He said he, might, he doesn't agree with it necessarily, but he says the president can do that. The president can tell the military to build the wall. And, you know, maybe that's what it's going to come down to. But in the meantime, we should at least understand that our government should be focused on issues that really matter. You know, this, this stuff matters. Stormy Daniels doesn't matter to the American people. Like This whole situation with the Trump payoffs, it doesn't matter. They want to make it matter. But immigration, I mean, just spend some time in communities where there's been, you know, a tremendous amount of illegal alien influx. And what, is, what does that even mean for our assimilation processes? What does that mean for the political fabric of this country? I mean, what, what, what holds us together, what we hold in common? You know, I hate to say it, but one of the main things that makes you an American is the English language. And then another thing is ability to understand and abide by rule of law. And, you know, some, and, and then there's some shared culture. But America is an idea, right? It's not a country based on, on bloodline. And so... That's why it really matters how you come into the country, how you exist within our system and what you do to either undermine or support that system when you're here. You know, but the left doesn't want to have a serious conversation about it. They just want to demagogue, demagogue and more demagogue. Um, I'm, I'm now just seeing this as I'm on air with you. I mean, this is this is pretty typical. Trump is considering a border wall delay. Uh, delaying the fight until January. Now hearing that Republicans on Capitol Hill are considering a two-week stopgap measure to fund the government into January. That would mean roughly a quarter of the federal government will shut down next Friday, absent a uh, a bipartisan deal. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, this is this is one option we have here because all along I've said the, the idea that they're going to want to that the Republicans are going to want to pick this fight over the Christmas holiday, which could mess with their Christmas plans. I, I think that's probably not. This is why, you know, what was it? When I first talked to this, I said, ah, it's not going to be shut down. This is the same crap we always have. Well, now they're saying maybe they're going to push the shutdown until after until after the holiday. Well, I, you know, they're, they're going to have to do something. 
if they're not willing to have this fight, then we have to ask why. And I do think that there's a lot of there are a lot of a lot of people who are on the right who claim to care a lot about securing the border, but are not willing to do what is necessary. Are not willing to take the the consequences of a tough vote. I don't want to don't want to deal with it. Just they don't want to have to face their constituents and say, you know what, we voted for a wall. We we created a border wall, and the walls don't work. Line it's just so dumb. Of all the of all the things that people could say about it, you know, I I would prefer it. I would feel more comfortable if there could at least just be some honesty from the Democrats on this whole issue, where they would say, you know what, we would really like to just bring in as many people as possible from as many third world, non-English speaking countries as possible. And and we just want to bring as many of them in. And we don't care about family reunification anymore. We don't care about skills or merit or anything else. We just want to be the country where you just get to come here. I, I think people would realize that that's a disastrous idea pretty quickly, but at least then Democrats would be honest about what their end goal is. Now, this is also where I, I see this... Uh, this storyline that there are that deportation uh, deportations rather under Trump are on the rise, but they're still lower than Obama. Um, this was reported today. It's linked on Drudge Report. President Trump's push for tighter immigration policies has meant that there have been over two hundred fifty-six thousand illegal immigrants deported in twenty eighteen. It's the highest number since the Obama administration. Um, and the Obama administration, though, remember, they changed the way that deportations were counted. They changed it so that if you were caught at the border and turned away, uh, you would be, you know, you would be counted as somebody who had been deported. So it's very tough to get honest numbers because interior enforcement is supposed to mean that you're somebody who's in the interior of the United States and then you've already entered the country illegally and then you're sent, you're deported. Otherwise, you're just caught at at the border. So, you know, as I look at this, first of all, you know, Obama as the deporter in chief was a line that the Democrats wanted to. They were willing to accept that for a while because they thought that it would give him the political leeway to get the uh, comprehensive immigration reform deal, which Republicans were on board for, which would have just been amnesty. I mean, that's all it was. And at that point. The thing about amnesty is once it's done, the only thing that's assured is the amnesty and everything else falls by the wayside very quickly. And so, you know, I, I think that that was a root. kind of like if you like your health care, uh, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. With Obama, it was look at all the people I'm deporting. You can trust me. I'm not just going to give amnesty to 12 million, 15 million, maybe 20 million people. No, no, I'm the de- I'm the guy who deports people. You can trust me. But then it all all fell apart. Uh, then the whole the whole ruse was up over time. You know, John Kennedy is out there and he's he's a, a stalwart on this one. All of a sudden, I, I didn't even know this guy held these positions until the last couple of weeks. Play clip two. If you support legal immigration, then you've got to be against illegal immigration. I'm not saying that all of the people who try to jump the line to come into our country are bad people. I don't know, but I do know this. Some of them are terrorists. Some of them are child sex traffickers. Some of them are drug dealers. Some of them are gang members. And if for no other reason but but national security and public safety, 
We have to seal our border. And, and the, the sin of President Trump here in Washington, D.C., with the, the, uh, the self-styled elite is that he's actually, for the first time in a long time, enforcing America's immigration laws. Our immigration laws are not broken. They just haven't been enforced. Yep. It's true. People always say our immigration immigration laws are broken. What they really mean is we don't enforce our immigration laws. We, we don't enforce them. Well, how can you know if a law is broken if you're not actually using the laws that you have? It's it's a, it's a pretty amazing state of affairs now where you know we're we're not even it's like we're not even having the same the same uh same discussion you know not even having the same debate because the the left has skewed this whole thing so much that you know, it's it's hard it's it's even it's hard to know what topic they're really even on i mean it's it just changes all the time their positions change all the time they have no solutions. All they do is complain and act like a bunch of, of huge babies. It's very, very annoying. Um, I've got some breaking news actually to get to when we come right back. Stay with me. Well, it looks like we know who the White House Chief of Staff is going to be in the immediate future. We do not yet have clarity on who the permanent Chief of Staff will be, but this was just breaking that uh, Trump has named Mick Mulvaney Acting chief of staff, uh, Mick is a seems like a very sharp guy. He's a smart guy, um, but I mean, John, let's be honest here. I think in the office pool, we're all a little disappointed that the Trumpster still hasn't tracked me down. You know, I'm right here, man. I'm in the swamp. I'm I'm not Buck, far away. You're a smart guy. Exactly. Thank you. You know, I think that this this could have been the start of something beautiful. I would have run that White House like a Swiss watch, but. You know, they haven't reached out to me yet. And then there's also you know, I mean, one of the only people that might even be less likely than me to get the job. Piers Morgan threw his uh, threw his hat into the ring. Nobody else, I think, was taking him seriously other than Piers Morgan himself. But look, he understands, man. You just need to get back in the limelight and then everything else, then everything else kind of follows. You know, he knows that all you need to do is get your name in the mix and people will start to talk about you again. And that opens up all kinds of doors. Does he care about what happens to the Trump administration and, and to the to America? I'm pretty sure he's a Brit, British citizen, not an American citizen. Uh, no, but at least gets his name in there. Anyway, Mick Mulvaney is going to be the acting chief of staff. Uh, the, the only other news around this today was that you had, uh, what's his name? Chris Christie. Um, Chris Christie was out of the running after briefly being in the running. And then you heard that Jared Kushner, is the most likely replacement. And from what I'm seeing today, and I was told this by a, a congressman earlier today, it's uh, who had just left the White House, it's looking like it's going to be Jared Kushner. So the president's going to make his uh, his son-in-law the White House chief of staff. You know, I, w- I would just say that, you know, I'm, I, I, do not, I do not like political dynasties and I do not like nepotism. That said, I do think the Trump administration in particular, uh, I think President Trump has a need for people around him that he can truly and honestly trust. And that's very hard for him to find under the circumstances of, you know, what's going on around him. It's not an easy thing for President Trump to be in the situation where he's got not just the media totally set against him, but also these 
deep state leave behind or or lifelong bureaucrats, you know, Obama administration leave behinds and lifelong bureaucrats who are so dedicated to destroying him. Uh, but also, this is not new. I mean, you had JFK appointed uh, Bobby Kennedy to be attorney general, his brother. That's nepotism. Uh, Hillary Clinton, yes, you could say she wasn't appointed to a role, but Hillary Clinton was given a, a massively important portfolio of essentially reorganizing American health care as first lady. So she was given a lot of power and authority. I mean, she was, she, I mean, that was... She took the vice president's traditional office in the in the in the White House. Um, she yeah, she was acting she was acting like a White House official without even having an official title. Really, she's just first lady. And then she ran for senator based on who she was married to. And then she became secretary of state based on her last name and the fact that she had been a senator. And then she ran for president based on those other things. And, and none of it was was earned in any meaningful way. It was all riding on her husband's coattails. This is just a fact. I mean. I don't think anybody, well, people could argue that, but they would lose. Uh, they would lose. You know, oh, no, Hillary's so amazing. She's so perfect. No, no, she's not. But she does have this, you know, there's a certain boomer sensibility. Sorry, boomers. I know I give you a hard time sometimes, but, oh, you know, we, I, I went to this school and that school, so everyone should think I'm amazing. You know, when Hillary went to Wellesley, it was like a 50-50 shot if you were going to get in. I'm just saying. And if you want to go to, I don't know why I just turned into Gilbert Godfrey there for a second. I'm just saying. Uh, but, you know, it, it, we don't have to always bow and genuflect before these people who went to, you know, look, is George Bush a great student? No, of course. I mean, George W. I'm talking about. Was he a great student? Of course not. He got to go to Yale. I mean, look, there's a lot of. This is the thing about the elites, though. They're within the power structure, but they're not, they're not special in terms of their skills and ability necessarily. And that's what's been so exposed. It's certainly true of people in the media. These people are all replaceable. They're all jerks and clowns. A lot of them are way overpaid. And yeah, they're the elites in that they have power and influence, but they're not elite because they're so good at anything. It's a big difference. So we'll see what ends up happening in, in the White House. I don't think it's going to make all that much difference to anybody. It's a little bit of palace intrigue. Who really cares? You know, we'll see. We'll follow it. And it is what it is. Got a big hour three coming up, though, team. So uh, stay with me. You might have seen earlier this week, there was a huge hack. People say China might be behind it, and 500 million hotel customers have all their information exposed now. You don't want to have to worry about that. You don't want to have your information just floating around out there. The bad guys, whether they're hackers or just people trying to use a scam to sell your information to third parties, they got a lot of tricks. But I've got a way to neutralize this nonsense. ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN's got these incredible apps that run in the background of your computer, of your phone, of your tablet. And then it is, I'm telling you, anonymous and secure. So it takes your IP address, it encrypts it. And it's the number one in its category. You've got to try ExpressVPN for yourself. If you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more. What more do we need to see or hear from this racist man? Here we have a president who uh, has, has uh, once again said racist and despicable words about African-Americans, people of color. All the policy that he's put forward has been anti 
people of color. He has wow. continued policies that I believe are racist in nature. The president of the United States is racist. All of us already knew that. The president seems to harbor racist uh, feelings about people of color. Do they ever have to provide any evidence of this stuff or is it just enough to always slander the president as, as being racist? That's right. This guy from Queens who grew up in New York City, who's been in public life for his entire life. And he's now, what, 70? He's he's a terrible racist. But you notice how we, we just discovered that Trump is a terrible racist, according to the media, uh, when he became a Republican that could beat the hand-picked candidate of the establishment left in the Democrat Party. Then Trump was the most racist, evil racist ever. But I had never heard. I grew up in New York. I knew of the Trumps. I I was very familiar with a lot of the the stories and lore around the Trump family. Um, I never heard anything about them saying that Trump was racist. He was a, you know, he was generally considered a, a, a colorful character, I think you could say. And, you know, a, a favorite of the tabloids and, you know, a little bit, little bit full of himself. But that was about it. I mean, no one ever said he was racist. And now it's just taken as it's taken as gospel by the media that Trump is racist. And they don't ever really get into why. I mean, you really they'll just talk about policies that I agree with the president on in some cases or, well, almost all policy cases. So does that mean that I'm racist? Does that mean that everybody who thinks, for example, that Obamacare is not great, they're racist? Is everybody who thinks that a wall at our southern border is a necessary improvement to our existing border security infrastructure, is that a racist position or is that just a sensible position? Um, they don't give you specifics. And, and you'll also notice, and this is the other side of it, if they were really making this judgment about Trump's racism upon his deeds and upon things that they could point to instead of just repeating and repeating and repeating and then hoping that the lie becomes the truth. Wouldn't they give him some credit for non objectively, you know, the opposite of racist behavior or, you know, behavior that promotes racial healing, racial outreach, uh, you know, racial comedy and uh, togetherness. Oh, you never hear that. Do you? How much credit have you heard the media give Trump for prison reform that will disproportionately help, uh, as the media says, black and brown men in prison or men of color uh, from disproportionately help them in transitioning to life outside of the big house, so to speak. You know, how many times have you heard that? You don't hear that. Does the president ever get credit for doing things that are supposed to help the black community? Does, does he get any credit from the media for, say, the incredibly low black and Hispanic unemployment rate? In the, no, of course not. None of that. So they tell you all these terrible things about him. They look for every opportunity to add to the he's terrible, he's a racist. But then they want us to believe they're journalists, even though they don't cover the other side of this equation. You know, there was this meeting of the Opportunity and Revitalization Council, or actually it was created by Trump, and then they had a meeting. And Bob Johnson, who is the founder of BET, he's a media mogul, he, and, and I, I had to, producer Mike, I mean, he brought this whole thing to my attention. I didn't even know about this. And I am reading the news and researching all day long. Mike caught this one. Otherwise, it really was under the radar as a story. 
So, you know, I, I wanted to come in with the whole Trump. Oh, they say Trump is so racist. And this is this is now the criticism of lazy of lazy idiots in the media. Just everything Trump does is racist. You know, he he uh, showed up late to a meeting with a, a foreign minister. Oh, Trump is racist. I mean, everything he does is racist. But then they also don't even tell you about the very obviously non-racist things or rather anti-racist things that he does, like, you know, reaching out to minority communities, trying to create better opportunity for minorities. I mean, I can tell you this. If President Trump, if you're sitting in a room and there was something that President Trump could do, if he could just wave his hand and, you know, uh, double African-American household income, if, if he could, you know, make the African-American unemployment rate go down by half, I am certain that he would do those things. Okay, I, 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 I can tell you with complete assuredness that the president of the United States would take a, a very strong pride in doing things to help the black community in this country. And just based on his, his attitude as a guy, the way that he's conducted himself in much of his life, you know, yeah, he's a billionaire and he's a media guy and, you know, his toilets are made of gold and all this stuff. I get it. But. You know, I think he also does have a certain fondness for the for the common man, for the working man. You know, he knows he's not one of them. He, he doesn't do this, you know, rolled up sleeves. I'm going to pretend to be a hunter thing during the you know campaign. He knows he's not one of them, but he appreciates them. You know, Trump appreciates cops. He appreciates firemen. He appreciates military. He appreciates doers, people that that put things on. He appreciates construction workers, appreciates truck drivers. Nancy Pelosi does not. OK, but but Bob Johnson, who's the BET founder and, and media mogul, he spoke at, at the White House. It's got zero coverage, but so we're going to give it some coverage. Play clip 11. Just recently, your Department of Labor signed a historic document uh, that created something called auto portability. Auto portability is designed to reduce retirement leakage among low-income uh, 401k account holders who tend to cash out. And Mr. President, you should know this, 60% of African-American and Hispanic Americans cash out of their 401k account. This program will put close to $800 billion back in the retirement pockets of minority Americans. So I just want to applaud you for that. Trump is working with Bob Johnson here. He's uh, obviously very successful, very prominent African-American uh, mogul and, and, and businessman. And, and Trump is working with him and others to try and put a lot of money back in the pockets of folks who are doing the right thing, who are, who are trying to save up, who are paying their bills, who are being productive citizens. A lot of them are minorities. And this, this gets nothing. This gets nothing. I mean, no one's even talking about it. No one covers this. Doesn't think that it's it's worth worth attention. You know, doesn't think that it's it's worth raising. You know, let's have another interview with Michael Cohen where he says, you know, Trump is a liar. I mean, this guy Cohen, he's like a you know, uh, just just a broken down broken down machine at this point. I mean, what do they want this guy to do? I mean, he's obviously been humiliated and destroyed. They want to just keep putting him on TV because he's useful right now. In saying, you know, Trump is uh, it was a mistake. He's terrible. <sighs> so after Trump signed this executive opportunity for the opportunity and uh, sorry, executive order, rather, for the opportunity and revitalization council, who wants to guess what the media was asking about? So he's doing this thing to, to put money in the pockets of 
uh, black Americans, a lot of Americans, but black Americans, you know, disproportionately. Um, and here's what the media does. Play 12. This is a great thing. Thank you. Mr. President. Mr. President, in reaction to Michael Cohen's You know, I gotta, this whole thing of like the shouting, the questions of the president, I, and I know it's a tradition. And I'm sure people in the White House would tell me, oh, that's what, you know, the White House press corps, they love that whole thing. It just strikes me as, do we really have to do that? Yeah. Can we just have Q&A time? Be like, all right, guys, I'll take questions. Otherwise, you know, could everyone just sit there and um, like, I guess they do what they do. But anyway, um, did Michael Cohen cover up your dirty deeds? That's what they ask him. Forget about the fact that he's trying to help minorities in this country hold on to more of their hard-earned cash. Let's ask him about Michael Cohen. You know, I was telling you about how they they don't give you reasons. They don't give uh, any of us reasons for why Trump is so racist, why he's so terrible. They just keep saying it and saying it and saying it. Uh, Pastor Jarrell Scott, who I've actually done some hits with back in the day on CNN, uh, he, he, I think, put this in very clear terms. Play 13. It's insulting to the intelligence of black America is the fact that the left does not give us one intellectual reason to not vote for uh, President Trump or to not support him. They give us emotional reasons. He hates you. He hates blacks. Don't vote for him. He hates blacks. Well, he's creating opportunity zones, but he hates you. Well, he's in the prison reform, but he hates you. And they're, they're, they're insulting our intelligence by speaking to us like that when the proof is in the pudding. This man, and I said it, he could be the most proactive president for black America in my lifetime, and he's proving me to be a prophet in that respect. He's doing things. If President Obama had done this, there'd be a parade down the street right now. Truth is that President Obama was, on the substance, very disappointing to minority communities in terms of the, the numbers, in terms of employment, in terms of, uh, in terms of the national conversation on race. There were race riots during the Obama presidency. I remember them. You remember them. You know, look what happened in Baltimore. Look what happened in Ferguson. You know, there was not this national healing that we were promised. That's for sure. Meanwhile, you've got Pastor Darrell Scott, African-American pastors, just saying, look, President Trump is, is doing the best he can. And he's trying to do a lot for the black community. And the media just completely ignores it, shuts it out, doesn't want to hear it. All they want constantly is Trump bashing Trump is racist this is why we don't trust the media you know that we can't forget that while they're you know always holding themselves up as you know the guardians of democracy and the guardians of our republic and all this other stuff uh, media doesn't deserve the respect that it wants from us media by and large is an industry in decline because now with the internet we have options and we have the ability to fact check and to know what they said yesterday, to know what they said last month. And this is why the bias, and then when you add social media onto that, that's why the bias is so apparent. They can't hide anymore. They can't rely on having control of the printing presses, so to speak, to create whatever reality that they want. Now we all have access to the printing press, although with social media companies, it's I'm worried about you know, who's at the levers now, who has control of these things. But you know, I just think that if they were being fair, if it wasn't just all meant to malign Trump for being a racist, they would talk about the things that he's trying to do to help the black community, and they will never talk about that. Don't allow yourself to get trapped in a social media universe where the left gets to determine what you see. 
Snippy.com is your answer. It is a new up-and-coming social media site, and if you have checked it out before, you got to go back and see it again for yourself. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is a place where you don't have to worry about conversational health, shadow banning, any of the nonsense that you know goes against conservatives online. Snippy does not get involved with any of that censorship, any of that nonsense. It's totally free to join. It's open to everyone. So join us. I'm a member. You can be a member too. It's totally free. Let your opinion matter. No suppression of conservative thought ever. Snippy.com. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features. Also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android. Snippy is your new alternative social media. The president isn't coming, hasn't come clean over over the course of time. Anderson, yeah, Anderson, go ahead, go ahead. Anderson, putting aside the whole issue of how amazing it is to listen to Rick Santorum, who made his entire career successful for a time on the basis of morality in politics, making excuses for paying off porn stars and women with whom you've had affairs, putting that to one side. Isn't the reason, you know what, Je- Jeffrey? If you're not, not you're not going to put that to the side. I'm not. I'm not making excuses for Donald Trump having an affair with a porn star. I mean, that's it's disgusting. It's tawdry. I'm saying whether it's a. Uh, I'm, I'm addressing the question as to what is the illegality involved here, and the illegality is not the contribution. The illegality is not reporting it. And, I'm and not you, condoning and, and, it, and, and, and don't suggest that I am. Good for good for Rick Santorum there for not letting slimy CNN Tubin get away with uh, a real dirtbag trick that they do on CNN all the time. And they're, they're pundits. They love to pull this one. I, I look, I came up against it a few times where you're talking about an issue. And then the other person will all of a sudden very personally attack you. Rick Santorum in that clip, I didn't play the, the whole of it for you. But if you if you want to do, you could listen to it. And all he does is say. Look, it's it's probably not illegal because of X, Y, and Z. He's just talking about the legality of Trump paying off women, uh, you know, for you know hush money purposes, right? He's just talking about the legality. And Tubin, who want to talk about tawdry, as I understand it, that guy's got quite his own uh, quite his own little tawdry history of personal conduct. And you know, Tubin goes after Santorum completely, uh, you know, w- without provocation. Just because he wants to take a dirty shot at him on Anderson Cooper's show. And you'll notice that, you know, he was going to move right past it. I will give some credit. See, what Cooper didn't do there is jump in and not let Santorum respond. That's usually what the what the dishonest fake news CNN anchors do is once the person that you're supposed to debate, uh, you know, slimes you. And then the, and, but then they want to move on to the subject at hand to make it seem like, oh, no, we're actually going to talk about the real thing again. But once they've taken their cheap shot, they want to move on. And then the ant goes, no, 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 let him finish. Let him finish. And then the subject matter, I mean, the, rather the conversation has moved. And so then when you come back, if you're in the Santorum seat, you know, this is the anatomy of a CNN smear. This is how they do it. When you come back and you're in the Santorum position and you say, well, hold on a second. You talk and they go, no, 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 we're not talking about you anymore, Rick. You know, we're not talking about about that. Why, why do you have to make it about you? You know, this is what they do. But these people are, they're professionally dishonest. I mean, Tubin's analysis, this is the chief legal analyst at CNN. I mean, his legal analysis is, is garbage. Uh, he is not, he is not a first tier mind at all, maybe a third tier mind. But they love him over at CNN. I mean, they, they think he's fantastic because he tells them exactly what that audience wants to hear. And that, look, this is a business, right? CNN is in the business of telling its audience of anti-Trump 
lunatics exactly what they want to hear. Um, which is why, you know, a while ago, I, I got uh, CNN's VP of communications or something came after me. This was maybe a month or two ago because I pointed out how stupid CNN's coverage of Elizabeth Warren was when she released her uh, released her DNA results. Because initially it was, you know, Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, sets the record straight with DNA results or whatever. You know, they, they're really trying hard. Uh, uh, I mean, every person with with a normal fun- a functioning brain was like, this is the the biggest self-own, the biggest own goal I've seen from a politician in a very long time. It turns out that uh, Elizabeth Warren is now thinking about giving an official apology. She's kind of testing the waters a little bit and saying that she is, quote, not a person of color. Oh, oh, I'm glad she's willing to admit that now. Play 17. I'm not a person of color and I haven't lived your life or experienced anything like the subtle prejudice or more overt harm that you may have experienced just because of the color of your skin. But rules matter. And our government, not just individuals within the government, but the government itself has systematically discriminated against black people in this country. I mean, yeah, the the government obviously has systematically discriminated against black people, but the, the point here is really that Elizabeth Warren is like, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a person of color. Thanks, Focahontas. We, we needed to be told that. that, that Demo- you know, this is the thing. Democrats lecture us all the time about lies and lying. Elizabeth Warren's a liar. She's a liar. Her whole career is built on a lie. When, when are we allowed to just all say that without people saying, oh, it's not true because, you know, she's great on on progressive issues and she wants wealth redistribution. Well, that doesn't mean anything. She was celebrated by Harvard as a minority, as a minority professor in the law school. She never would have gotten that job. Otherwise, I'm sorry, look, affirmative action is real. Are we supposed to pretend it's not real? It is better, you know, it is better to apply to Harvard as a member of the Sioux Nation than it is Buck Sexton from New York City. James Sexton, for those of you who are wondering, but you know, it is a better thing. Your odds are much better. Elizabeth Warren knew that. That is why she claimed to be Native American. I mean, this, people are just, they're just ridiculous on this and they're just preposterous. You know, get a grip, everybody. Really? Elizabeth Warren is a clown and a laughingstock. The fact that she's even thinking about running for president tells you all you need to know about the Democrat Party. It seems like all the cool celebrities these days are starting their own spirits line you know they they set up a a tequila or a rum or a bourbon or whiskey or whatever uh i have not seen anybody who was hawking gin Uh, i've not seen anybody who was really into gin but john you ever drink gin i don't really drink i'm not a gin guy yeah i don't i don't you know i'm not i'm not a big drinker but you know gin to me i I always feel like i'm drinking a christmas i always feel like i'm drinking a christmas tree or something it's just a little but uh, Ryan Reynolds is pretty funny. And since we're getting to the Christmas spirit a little bit here, and some of you are going to be asking me for gift ideas, I'm sure. Uh, this was kind of a funny ad that I thought worked. It's even funny if you can see it, but I think the audio worked well enough. So Ryan Reynolds is the guy from Deadpool, Deadpool 2, a bunch of other sort of forgetful, you know, romantic comedy fare. 
Um, but, uh, you know, he's a pretty self-deprecating guy uh, for a guy who's obviously made his career on being super handsome. Uh, but he's he's hawking this aviation gin, which I'd never heard of before. But I just want to share that this is getting getting us all into the Christmas giving gin drinking spirit. Uh, play clip three. You know, people come up to me all the time and they say, what makes aviation gin so delicious? Most of the time I run away because non-celebrities frighten me. But here is the answer. It begins each morning at 4 a.m. The distillers of Aviation American Gin rise to greet the new day with four hours of silent meditation. From there, it's a quick scoot down to the grove. The citrus fruits are misted using only the tears of Aviation's owner, me, Ryan Reynolds. All of our botanicals are humanely caught, cage-free and grain-fed. The reason some people don't drink gin is that strong juniper taste. So, after apologizing to each berry individually, we beat the living hell out of them. Creating a smoother, more refined finish. To ensure that heavenly taste, every bottle of aviation is ordained by the Unitarian Church of Fresno, California. And then, before it departs home, serenaded with the healing music of Sarah McLaughlin. Some might call this overkill, but the next time you visit your local mixologist and you murder that silky smooth aviation martini, well, who's the killer now, asshole? Aviation, an American original. Now owned by a Canadian. I got to tell you, John, I feel like I might have to go out and get myself some aviation gin. What do you think? I want to try it now. Yeah, no, it's a good commercial. It's very, it's very effective. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the music. The, you know, there's some funny little jokes in there. They did a good job. Yeah. I'm not a gin guy. I mean, Hendrix, I remember I made a bet with a friend back in the agency a long time ago, and I had to get him a bottle of Hendrix, which I think was maybe 40, 40 or 50 bucks. But you know, I, I will say now that when I, when I do drink, I, I stay away from, I, I drink less and I drink higher quality. That, that's one thing that I have made the switch to. So I might only have one drink over the course of an evening or, you know, maybe a drink and then a glass of wine with dinner. But I I'm very picky about what I want to drink. And I really just go for it either neat or over ice, but no mixers and no, you know, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. So, you know, I start I started out in this in this world early on drinking uh, wine coolers. That's what we were drinking in the, you know, junior high. That's what people drank in junior high. I guess eighth grade is junior high, right? Uh, you never went through that phase, did you, John? The wine cooler phase. That doesn't sound like your jam. I do like, like Zima wine and all actually. that stuff. What? I haven't had any since the '90s, but uh, yeah, I do like wine coolers. Okay, you're calling me out a little bit since the '90s. That's fair enough. I mean, Zima is something different. If you remember those ads, I they brought Zima back because people like me have such '90s nostalgia. It's also why Friends is the number three show on all of Netflix. I mean, a show that has been off the air for like over a decade now. People are still obsessed with it. Anyway, it's Ryan Reynolds. Hat tip to you, sir. And Deadpool 1 was very funny. Deadpool 2 was less funny, but, uh, you know, the guys earned my respect. Uh, and I also have not seen him, at least in a while. He probably, some of you are going to yell at me and say he's terrible on the politics stuff, too. But he doesn't seem like one of these guys who's shoving his annoying celebrity, effete politics in your face all the time. Uh, roll calls up next.
Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. Roll Call indeed. That's what we got going on now. Facebook. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is all you need to get in on the action here. Let's get right to it, because it's Friday, Freestyle Friday. I got a, I got a weekend planning. Miss Molly and I are down here in D.C. It's going to be so much fun. Maybe even might go to hear a little music this weekend. I'm excited about it. Uh, we're going to just, other than that, drink some hot cocoa and snuggle in the ugliest Christmas sweaters we can find. John, do you have a an ugly Christmas sweater? Important, important question. Not anymore. All right. I mean, I, I used to have some really ugly ones, but I, I've, I've gotten rid of them over time. I, I was kind of a sweater collector for a while until I realized that you, know, you should probably, you know, if you're not going to wear it, give it away to Goodwill or give it away to somebody who wants it. You know, it's not worth having. That's exactly what I did. I wasn't yeah, going to wear those ugly shirts anymore, those sweaters. And, yeah, uh, sweaters just get piled up in your closet uh, and you realize over time you, you need to yeah. you know, get on to something Army. else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Salvation Army for sure. So Lance is our first roll call uh, dude in the mix tonight. He writes, Buck, what's your take on felony murder rule? No longer being graded the same as first-degree murder. Out here in California, they just overturned it, and I hear other states are following suit. Shields high. Well, Lance, you're catching me unaware, my friend. I, I don't, I don't even know what this rule change is. So, you know, this is what happens to the roll call. I don't, I don't know everything. Uh, I don't know what this is. I'd have to look into it. Uh, interesting question. I will uh, check it out after the show, and I'll get back to you with a response as soon as I can. But certainly, it certainly sounds like something I should know about. Uh, Erica writes, I would blame you for not observing your coworker's beard on lack of sleep. As a narcoleptic, I am painfully aware that sleep deprivation destroys visual acumen. This is why when exhausted, we find ourselves putting a phone in the fridge or milk in a cupboard. The visual cues that normally keep us on track are completely missed. Huh. Interesting. And also Erica writes, Berlin Wall, highly effective, not racist. Well, yep, that is true. The Berlin Wall was very effective, and all it was doing was separating uh, a city, when you think about it. It's pretty remarkable. Um, but this notion that the wall is racist, it's just, uh, th- this is, a, this is a, a form of emotional blackmail. This is just trying to scare people away from thinking through this problem and coming up with a real solution to it. You'll always, you'll hear Democrats will talk a lot about border security in the abstract. When you ask, what should we do, then there's not, Anything that comes out of their mouths other than racist, xenophobe, which doesn't help. It does not help the conversation, it turns out. Jessica writes, Buck, with an exclamation point. I've been listening for about three years now and love the show. Well, thank you, Jessica. You're very kind. I have a question for you. I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw that someone tweeted at George Stephanopoulos about how much ABC must have paid to Christine Blasey Ford. George replied, not a dime. We don't pay for interviews. Other networks were chiming in saying that they don't pay for interviews and it is unethical. Is this true? I don't know why these people would do the interviews. Isn't there so uh, some kind of kickback, so to speak? Uh, Jessica, it is true that most of what you'd consider your 
um, mainstream, mainline kind of interview locations, you know, the, the different platforms out there, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, uh, they do not pay for interviews. Um, the Blaze, where I worked, never paid for interviews. Uh, CNN doesn't pay for interviews. Fox doesn't pay for interviews. So I, I, there are some places, I know that some tabloids will pay for interviews and some like date daytime talk shows and syndicated talk shows, things like that, uh, you know, on the TV, they will pay for interviews, but I don't know which ones do and which ones don't. Uh, but generally the serious journalistic outfits, you know, whether you consider them serious or not, but the ones that think of themselves as serious as, as a rule will not pay for interviews. Uh, they view that as, as a line that they, that they will not cross. I and mean, it makes sense when you think about it. I mean, they're, they're offering a platform for people to either share a story or share a point of view. And, you know, they also would then be in a situation where there's a, a competition for the highest dollar for some of these interviews. That all said, access is money. It's one thing I can tell you about in great detail here in D.C., here in the swampy swamp. The people who have connections to different uh, administration officials, to whether it's a Democrat or Republican in the White House, that means real dollars and, uh, you know, to the to the media organization, uh, because it's all about views and clicks and, and subscribers and downloads. And so there's money at stake with the relationships that different media organizations have, uh, particularly with political figures and, and in political journalism. So while we pretend that it's just all, oh, it's all just journalism and it's just whatever you know, the, may, may the best man and woman win. The, the truth is there are a lot of ways that, you know, for example, uh, MSNBC would have benefited under the Obama administration. And let's just say other networks would benefit now because of access to uh, the White House or to Congress, to members of Congress. You know, one really big interview with a newsmaking senator, for example, can be worth. I mean, if you were to look at the monetization structures of some of these news organizations, give me worth a lot of money, uh, especially if they if it goes viral or if they have a viral moment. So David writes, Buck, listening on the podcast, really wish you would ask that protest answer. What the heck Mike Pence had to do with the Pulse nightclub shooting or how many mosques he danced in front of Shields High? Uh, you know, David, you raise a a, a general point here that, that I have to tell you is. Is, is fair, which is, you know, I didn't I didn't really want to push that guy or, or try to get overly contentious. He he seemed just silly to me, and I just wanted to let him speak for himself. Um, there were a lot of things I could have asked him. Also, they were they were kind of finishing up when I got there, so I didn't really have a whole lot of time. And so I just went down. I wanted to ask the most standard questions of somebody who's engaged in protesting outside somebody's home. And I, I think we were able to illuminate somewhat of what was going on there. Um, but yeah, the, what, what does the Pulse nightclub shooting have to do with the border? And you know, you remember though, when you're talking to people who don't have much of a context or a, or a knowledge about any of the subject matter they're involved in, uh, you know, you don't want to drive yourself crazy with trying to make sense of what's nonsense, nonsensical. You know, that, that's one way to put it. Chris writes, uh, Buck, Trying to fill last-minute Xmas gifts other than Black Rifle Coffee and Omaha Steaks, which I'm ordering from tonight. Are there other products you endorse that are good to stuff stockings and put under the tree? Freedom Hut stores, some needed reading, maybe recommendations. Thanks, man. Merry Christmas. Shields high from Chris. 
Uh, Chris, for, I mean, obviously those are very high up on my list there. Thank you very much for uh, being a, a supporter of the show and getting some great products. Subscribe to Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off. And Omaha Steaks, type buck in the search bar. So if everyone listening just did that, uh, that would really be, that would be great. You know, Christmas would come early for for Team Buck over here. Um, as to other products, I mean, we, all the products we advertise for are great. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to give somebody uh, the gift of background checks this holiday. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure uh, that, that they fit under a tree, so to speak. So we'll see. Uh, let me think more about that. But yes, obviously, Omaha Steaks, Black Rifle, those are high up on the list. And remember, you can get T-shirts and other things from Black Rifle, too. I've got a few Black Rifle T-shirts. They're really comfortable, and they are uh, I wear them all the time. So I'd give you that to uh, put in your pipe and, uh, and smoke. Um, Michael writes, Hey, Buck, did you see this one? Thanks for being a voice of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Oh, yes, this was the, uh, the how the next attorney general vows to probe into Donald Trump and his family. Uh, indeed, I have seen this. I think I talked about this a bit on the show. Um, this is the new world that we're entering into where you really just have the blatant politicization of prosecutors offices of the DOJ and it's all justified under this idea that um you know whatever they have to do in order to get Trump is fine that anything that takes down Trump is worth doing even if it destroys some of the most important foundational aspects of rule of law and and our society overall um but yes the incoming attorney general has straight up said she's she's targeting Trump for political reasons. And then you'll have people turn around and say, there's nothing weird going on here. They're just, there's just so much criminality with Trump and all the people around him. I'm like, really? Because if that were the case, I don't think you'd have to have people who haven't even taken on the job of prosecuting yet who are saying, oh, we're going to prosecute those people. It's all politics, my friends. It's all politics. Bill writes, if the worst that could pa- possibly happen and the Democrats were able to remove... Uh, President Trump from office, wouldn't Pence have to go two because they were elected as one? Uh, Bill, no. My my understanding of how this works is that if uh, Trump were removed from office after impeachment, if the Senate voted by a two-thirds majority to uh, remove the President of the United States from office, then Vice President Pence, I mean, that's why we have the succession uh, in place that we do. Vice President Pence would become the President of the United States. So that's what I think would happen. Um, by the way, this is from Aries. You mentioned something about wanting to look, uh, cool by growing a beard. Uh, and according to foxnews.com, 64 billion narcotics cross the border every year. So 100 billion on the wall would pay for itself on about a year and a half, not counting all the cost with the incarceration of criminals. No, I mean, Aries, it's true that with all the narcotics that cross the border, when you think of all the, uh, first of all, the death and misery and despair that's caused by, the uh, mass of fentanyl and other things that come across the border. Um, and then when you add to that all the costs that we have in trying to prevent this stuff from continuing on, uh, you know, law enforcement and health costs, and it's, it's astonishing. And that's why, the, I mean, the, 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 the idea that we can't do the wall because it's too expensive is just idiocy. It's just not a serious argument against it. It just doesn't hold up when you apply even a, a rudimentary scrutiny to it. So... That's total garbage. You know, I I usually am very assured, or very self-assured in my my uh, proclamation that you know 
you're you're not going to have uh, a shutdown. I'm not quite as sure now. Anyway, have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Please tell somebody about the show. Tell them to download it. It's a big favor to all of us here. And uh, we'll see you next time. Shields high. Coffee is a constant, my friends. I drink it every day. And as we're going into the holiday season, let me tell you, I'm thinking, what gifts can I get for folks? And I know they're just going to love. It's not going to get, you know, stuffed under the bed somewhere. It's not going to get stuck in the back of the closet. How about something you know someone's going to drink every day? That's Black Rifle coffee. All right. I drink Black Rifle every morning. I've got a stack of K-Cups next to my desk at work and here at home. I'm on three cups a day, all right? I'm all about the Black Rifle mission of staying caffeinated and in the fight. They have a coffee club that makes things easy. All you do is pick the blend you want, and Black Rifle will ship coffee right to your door every month. It's hassle-free, okay? Just get get on the get on the bandwagon. Join the revolution here. It's the best tasting, most energizing, most delicious coffee you can possibly find. Black Rifle Coffee is the gift that keeps on giving. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck.